0: You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. How'd you do? Whoa, that was different. (laughs) How you doing, Josiah? I'm doing well.
1: I'm doing well as well. Ethan. Oh. Well as well. You've fully dropped the as far as I know. I did. Hey, good for you. It's fine. Yeah. I um, I mean, it still holds true. Still holds true. It's, I a, it's am, implicit I, now. I, I'm taking it now as it's kind of become its own uh, tautology,
0: if you will. <laughs> its Holy own
1: sh- little, you know. <laughs>
0: if I could do a Scooby-Doo noise, I would have done it right
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> I really, I need to work on that. You know, like, so like when Josiah says he is doing well, implied underneath is as far as he knows, yeah. because I've said it so often. Okay. Yeah. That's right. how I take it right, now. Right, right, That's how right. I'm going to choose to take it because people have started saying it back to me now. Right, like it's See, getting I was to the point where, well, on Sunday morning I'll be out greeting, you know, talking to people, and they'll ask, you know, how are you doing, Josiah? I'm like, fine, like as far as you know. That's quite, which is
0: endearing, it's quite charming. But actually. then,
1: like, okay, this is the point where I stop saying it because right. otherwise it'll get, you know, because uh, eventually
0: where it, people will be rolling their eyes.
1: Yeah, they'll be like, oh my gosh, Josiah saying that thing again. But now it's the point where they're like, ah, they'll say it back to me, yeah, like it's we actually, have a good laugh. The perfect moment. Yes, this is where you drop the thing, you stop it. So anyway, yeah, that was a really unasked-for digression. No,
0: I I asked for it. I I still I did. (laughs) That's literally what I did. You you
1: pointed it out. Yeah. You begged for an explanation, practically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you know what else is begging for an explanation? I can think of...
0: (laughs) You know what? I can think of five things. Let's do one of them today.
1: (laughs) Uh, Is it, like, vain that I laugh so much at our own... (laughs) dialogue and, and jokes. We, if we, I'm not laughing at myself, though. I'm laughing at you. <laughs> if we
0: didn't laugh so hard at our own jokes, this would be a very different podcast. <laughs> I just have to hope and trust that people are ready for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I guess they just, you know, they don't have to listen, I suppose. I suppose. You know?
0: we, we like that you're here, though. Yeah,
1: we do. We do like it. And uh, Ethan is exactly right. We're covering today the first of the five Protestant Reformation solas today. The solas? Yes, the five distinctives of Protestant theology. So if you didn't happen to listen to the introductory episode i would recommend doing that just so you kind of you know yeah. know what we're going to be getting into yeah. here
0: the introduction where you spoil three of the five yeah. <laughs> what you mean you know it? i've forgotten <laughs> i've forgotten because we they weren't a deep dive so yeah yeah you know. see
1: look at that you know and
0: google is a thing <laughs> yeah you could you could you could do you could just on hold it. on until
1: we until we deep dive in each yeah or you could do that you know which is what i'd recommend keep that's the tension deep. going
0: knowing <laughs> <laughs> me that's definitely what i'm doing <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so, just to make sure that we're all on the same page and that we uh, remember, though, these five solas are what distinguish us from the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox. They're kind of the five distinguishing marks, though they are not the only things that distinguish us, but I think it's fair to say they're the five biggest, I would say that personally. What about like Russian Orthodox? What about them? You know, that's actually a great question <laughs> in real life because um, they are what would be considered an autocephalous Eastern Orthodox Church. That sounds like a plant word. I know, it does, Hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's got that kind of Greeky, you know, Greek sound. So that, basically, they're an Eastern Orthodox church, and they have a head bishop. So like the Russian Orthodox church has its own bishop in Moscow, oh, and he does yeah. not report to any other bishop.
0: So they they are a segregated Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, basically. They seceded. Yeah, basically. Okay. That's it.
1: So you got like them, the Greek Orthodox, Antiochian Orthodox. Okay. That's so how it's, that, just, it's just a clear specification of Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, yeah, with their own sort of, um, okay. you know, parish boundaries and all of this. They're doing of their own thing their own way. Yeah, but they still use, like, the Byzantine liturgy of the Whoa. Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay. Just in, obviously, like... I think they speak Russian. I'm not like, I'm obviously not a scholar in these things. <laughs> yeah. I'm really like, I'm stretching my mind back to church history things that I've mostly forgotten, but- uh, I know that feeling. But yeah, that's, uh, they happen to be fifth, if you just want to know an order of precedence of the Orthodox churches. Their oh. founding goes back to like 988, the year 988. So that like just happens to be like much later uh, than the other ones. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> these are what distinguish us from them and from the Roman Catholics, these five solas. And the first of the five Protestant Reformation solas is Sola scriptura, which is of course Latin for scripture alone. And uh, this is the doctrine which states that scripture alone is the inerrant and infallible word of God and is thus the ultimate authority in matters of faith and Christian practice.
0: So not unlike the introductory article you penned just a few weeks ago
1: on resources. Yes, yes, we did publish a little treatise on that. (laughs) Treatises, that's way too robust a (laughs) word to use, but uh, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, So in this episode, we will briefly cover, one, how this doctrine does distinguish us from Rome. We're just going to pick Rome because that's where the part of the reformation came down to, the poor orthodox. They're just kind of like off doing their own thing. So, that one, two, what the doctrine does mean for Protestant Christians. Okay. And then three, what it does not mean because there are some misunderstandings that have sprung up from this formulation.
0: Yeah, I'm not um, surprised.
1: Yeah. And so, obviously, we're also going to cover every possible detail relating to this doctrine. Wink wink. As we do. As we always do. Yeah. We always cover everything mm-hmm. exhaustively.
0: Somewhere between 6 teen and 25 minutes we do cover everything every single yeah. question one could have i've heard that said yes I've yes that's mostly people. by us
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not wrong <laughs> So, first of all, in the context of our relationship to the Roman Catholic Church, here's how this doctrine sets us apart. And I am going to be, or I'm going to try to be as fair as I can to the Catholic views while still obviously advocating that their views are incorrect and why we hold to these, the views that we do. So, in short terms, as opposed to sola scriptura, the Catholic Church holds to what we might instead call sola ecclesia, which we would say is the Church alone. That is not a formal term they use, that is a term that has been coined to describe their overarching view of authority. I And I do think it's a fair descriptor. And here's what we mean when we say sola ecclesia, or the church alone. For the Catholic Church, sacred scripture, that's what they call it, sacred scripture is just one part of a sort of triad of authority. So you have sacred scripture on the one hand, but then you also have what they call sacred tradition. Yes. And sacred tradition would be the teachings of Jesus that were not recorded in scripture, but that he did hand down to the apostles, and that have been preserved in the liturgy of the Roman Church.
0: Is that a bit apocryphal or is it like fairly legit Uh, or is it somewhere in the middle
1: that's one of the problems the roman catholic church has like you have to be able to prove that yeah in in a sense like how do you if this is oral tradition how are you going to like establish that it has the same authority as scripture that's the issue right oral tradition in, in itself is not a problem but the fact that you're saying this is equal it's an equal authority right that's where you run into the issues with it. But then both of those, both sacred scripture and sacred tradition, are interpreted authoritatively only by the teaching magisterium of the church. So there's like a specific teaching office within the church, and they get to interpret it authoritatively. So functionally speaking, the Bible sits under the authority, under, I mean, emphasize that enough, under the authority of the teaching magisterium, functionally. So,
0: so they're like the, the, the master interpreters, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like when the Pope gets to, in fact, this was a point of contention in the Reformation. There's a legendary, perhaps apocryphal account of, oh, was it Tyndall? I think it was William Tyndall sitting down with and having dinner with somebody and a Catholic scholar was there and he was talking about scripture and how it actually should hold authority over the church rotten the other way around. And uh, this scholar allegedly looked at him and said, we were better be without God's laws than the popes. (laughs) And, uh, but like, that's, you know, that did reflect the prevailing attitude of the time of the Reformation yeah. was like, well, we would rather have what the Pope said than what Cheers. God's word said. And then, I mean, that's like, if you think only he can interpret it authoritatively. Then what's the use to have anything else? We exactly. Can? Like yeah. if whatever you say, it, you know, if the Pope didn't say it, it doesn't matter. So the reformers were arguing that that ordering was wrong, obviously. Like that was where the, the <laughs> yeah. crux of the issue came from. And we touched on that in the introductory episode. When Luther was launching his attack on the indulgences, the issue wasn't, again, he didn't even start out wanting to remove indulgences. He was just saying there being abused and used wrongly. And then eventually it came to a head where they realized, oh, the actual issue here is who holds authority over what? Does the scripture hold authority over the church or does the church, so to speak, hold authority over the scripture? And the basic argument is that if the scriptures really are God's Word, which is what the scriptures claim for themselves, and I mean, to a degree, I mean, you, like, I mean, the Catholic Church wasn't not saying that, yeah, but the logical implication was, well, if they are God's words, hmm. God's word is the definitive word, not even our interpretation of it, like right. God's word is, and so that is what our teachings and doctrines ought to be measured by. And I think that seems rather reasonable and logical. But again, during the Reformation, you know, this wasn't just a matter of the Catholic Church looking at it at the time and saying, oh, like, you know what? I can see the reason and logic in that and we'll adjust practice accordingly. Like, if that was true, that meant this whole system of the way they were using indulgences and all yeah. these things was going to come down. And uh, so they were messing with a powerful global system that did not want to go quietly into a good, good night.
0: Was that a Dylan Thomas reference? It was, as a matter of That's fact. That's delightful.
1: The pen- ultimate dylan thomas poem yes of course I, uh, that everyone knows <laughs> Yeah,
0: introduced in uh, what was that maybe 10th grade yes uh, man that so was good. it that was like this is my thing this is this exact one that everyone knows <laughs> that's very not you know unique now that everyone knows now it. that
1: everyone knows it my favorite dylan thomas poem is in death shall have no dominion it mm-hmm. sets me i'm so unique look at me it's yeah. not you know don't <laughs> and i'm jealous
0: now it's gonna be my favorite one too <laughs> no,
1: look at that go look at it it's a great poem anyway that was kind of the context for how the doctrine got developed yeah. was in relationship. To the teaching magisterium and how authority functionally worked in the church. Now, here is what the doctrine of sola scriptura does mean for us as Protestant Christians. We're going to get into the positive meaning. (laughs) It means that when it comes to the things that we need in order to have a saving knowledge of God and to live a life pleasing to Him, all those things are contained in the Bible. So, everything that you need, as Peter would say, for a life of faith and godliness, that is contained in the scriptures, okay? That's the first thing. Second, we would say that because the Bible is God's word, it alone is without error in what it teaches, which is what we mean when we say inerrant. It is without error in what it teaches, and it is incapable of being false. So that's what we mean when we say it's infallible. So when we interpret the scriptures and create a body of teaching and doctrine from the scriptures, which again is something the scriptures themselves tell us to do, we must always evaluate our teachings and doctrines and interpretations by the scriptures themselves. So it kind of becomes this, uh, Oh, how would you even picture that? Like, you have the scripture up here. Yeah. Nobody can see what I'm doing well, with my hands. He's holding his
0: hands up like, I'm
1: at, the highest, at the highest, highest degree. Yeah. The scripture's here. And then you have this, like, body of teaching that proceeds from it, it's from like, our interpretation He just
0: moved it. his hand down like a waterfall. Down, down like from a waterfall. It. It.
1: And then we take that teaching and that interpretation and we reevaluate it by the scripture. And then further teaching can be developed from okay. that if it lines up. So what happened
0: just scripture. now for everyone listening... <laughs> It fell from the waterfall, the water evaporated, went back up into the clouds, and then fell again down through the waterfall cycle. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about the water tape now. <laughs> Josiah, like what happened? I, <laughs> I think it really- A I surprise think, episode of science. <laughs> I think it probably made sense to everyone else until I spoke.
1: <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, now I'm confused. Where's the hands? What's going on here? So the point is, is like, if your interpretation suddenly contradicts the rest of scripture- <laughs> Now it's like, okay, like, well, now you've, you've failed the sniff test yeah. and uh, you need to go back and reevaluate that, which is basically what it came down to with the indulgences. It's like, wait a minute, like, where do you actually get this from the scriptures? That isn't very clear. And eventually, like, even by implication, like, if you continue to, like, logically imply things, you might be able to get there. But, like, at the point your logical implication directly contradicts what the scripture actually says, you've gone too far. Exactly. Now, here's the thing, though. We oftentimes can make the same mistake that the Catholic Catholics did because they would say, you know, well, such and such is right because the church says so, right? Like that's sure. why they're Like the yeah. church said so, the Pope said so, the teaching magisterium said so. Okay. And uh, we may not do that, but Protestants sometimes are guilty of saying, well, such and such is true and right because my pastor said so. Yeah, like I've, I've heard that a lot. So. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've just, I've heard that and maybe not even necessarily in those explicit terms, but You know, you'll get people say, like, well, as John Calvin said, and like, that's what goes. Like, all right, like, they were wise men. You know, your pastor, you know, hopefully you can have confidence in what your pastor is saying. Sure. But you also want to be like the Bereans in Acts 14. 15, 15, somewhere in Acts where when, when Paul was teaching about the gospel, they went back to the scriptures and they're like, all right, well, we're going to find out if what you're saying is true. And then they searched them and they're like, oh yeah, this accords with what the Bible teaches and therefore we accept your testimony. That's the way it should be. Like, if you listen to me preach, you should never say, well, Josiah said and therefore, like, oh, no, no, no. I, <laughs> right, I don't want right, that. Right, I don't right, right. want that kind of burden. Like, exactly. I, I can't do that. If you could say, well, Josiah said this and you know, I trust him and it's probable and I went back and examined, okay, that makes sense that's one thing but like please don't put that on like don't don't say josiah said therefore it's true like i'm not i'm not god like i don't get to speak with that kind of you know any authority your pastor speaks with is borrowed authority when he comes to speaking That's speak a good way of Bible. putting it, yeah. Anyway, it's good and right to humbly submit to our elders and pastors, the scriptures, again. Scriptures tell us to do that. They're, you know, like, uh, submit yourselves as those who are under the care and authority of your pastors, but only in so far is what they teach and do according to the scriptures, right? Like, mm. that's another thing. That could be abused, you know? There are some of pastors course, like, yeah. you need to do because I'm your pastor. And dang, it, I mean, it, it has,
0: over history, definitely been abused by evil men.
1: Yeah, and the, I mean, again, <laughs> there were times in Rome that's precisely what the mm-hmm. Reformation was trying to address, was there were, like, evil men who were, you know, Saying, well, I have this authority, and therefore, exactly, what I say goes. Like, no, like your authority only comports as so far as it aligns with the scripture. Like, it's borrowed. You're not God. (laughs) Like, that's what it comes out. You are not God. You do not have authority in and of yourself. Or, as the Apostle Peter put it, we must obey God rather than men. So, yeah.
0: Well, as as this kind of relates to the teachings and the interpretations of other people, like these Mm -hmm. people in positions of power, what does that mean when it comes to how we interpret from their teaching? Or how we interpret on our own, like in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as you described, sometimes we just kind of fold that into our own belief system seamlessly. Right. Because such and such. so, And maybe hopefully it's true. But then also sometimes it's really out there. Right. I mean, that differs from from how insular and, and private those interpretations are versus how historic they are.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you're touching on and what we're going to be transitioning to with what the doctrine does not mean. And I think that's a great segue (laughs) and a great transition point because you as a Christian, by the grace of God, you know, we all have Bibles. I mean, it's just like, that's just amazing. You know, we have Bibles in our English language, not just one translation of it even, multiple translations of it. Yeah. So rather the heart of the issue here is, and this is where like the Apostles' Creed and the confessions come in handy, right? We've made theological advances. Like we've grown in our knowledge and understanding of who God is based on the scriptures. That's Mm -hmm. the primary source. But then there is this body of teaching that develops and doctrine that develops and grows. Like, we went from the Apostles' Creed to the Nicene Creed to, like, all the way down to, like, the Heidelberg Catechism to the Westminster Larger Confession. I mean, all these things just continue to grow. And that's the thing is you have these boundary lines that are considered orthodox throughout, like, church history. Like, the larger, broader, confessing church that confesses faith in Jesus says these teachings accord with Scripture all down the, the ages. People are like, here's, like, a starting point. And then we build off of that. And that's where I think tradition can come in handy is like you look back and you're like, all right, here is what Augustine or Calvin or Athanasius, here's what they were saying. And this piece of it is true. Like this lines up with what overall scripture teaches and this is helpful. So... If that's true, then I can build from there. Okay. And go from there, if that makes sense. And I think that's the role tradition plays. It helps us understand what scripture teaches. And then if we find out all oh, this comports with scripture, we continue to be able to build off of that teaching. Mm-hmm. And that's how advance is made. Maybe an analogy would be helpful since that's kind of like out there. But like in any sport, tennis, so just take tennis as an example. But like in tennis, you have very clearly defined rules and boundaries. Like we know what tennis is. Mm-hmm. And it is within those boundary lines that now like so called innovations to the game can be made. Like it's not like they're reinventing the game of tennis. Okay. But like, yeah. you know, like if you've mastered the fundamentals, now you have freedom and more ability to succeed in doing so. Yes, exactly. And I think that's true of a lot of things. I'm not sure that's true of like art. Yeah. When you're working art, like they the could just say, yeah. paint whatever you want." Like <laughs> that's probably that's not really helpful. That's like even nightmare. if you're very skilled, like you need to understand the works of people who've gone before you and how they've innovated techniques and go from there. Definitely. And I think that's how more or less tradition and previous church teaching functions. And so it's when like you get new novel teaching that like, <laughs> like it's fads. kind of out here like yeah. yeah like well where did you get that from well i just made it up like you know like like so like that didn't spring from like this orthodox teaching that was established in like the 1500s like well no it didn't like i'm just kind of out here doing my own thing like mm-hmm. oh so like you you just invented your own version of tennis is what you did like you know you're not actually that's not tennis oh, yeah. you know what i mean yeah. so all that is to say here's what the doctrine does not mean and this is where I think we get very confused around mm. this if like if we're only halfway thinking about this doctrine. okay, Sola Scriptura does not mean that the Bible is the only authority in the life of the Christian, right? It does not mean the Bible is the lone authority in matters of Christian life and faith and practice and the ultimate authority by which we're called to submit our lives, but it's not the only authority. Right. In okay. fact, the scriptures establish other authorities. They establish the authority true, of the yeah. family, they establish the authority of the church, and they establish the authority of the civil government, the civil magistrate. Isn't that one fun? Yeah. So if a police officer pulls you over for speeding and writes you a ticket, you don't get to look at him and say, Well, only the Bible has authority over me. Like <laughs> That's how I always get out of a ticket saying yeah,
0: like, only God can judge me. <laughs> yeah,
1: like well, God technically time. has pronounced judgment over you through the means of that police officer and yeah. you violated the laws that have been established by that. you know what I mean? Like there is a logical flow to that that mm-hmm. God established. Mm-hmm. So it does not mean the Bible is the only authority in the life of the Christian. Sola scriptura does not mean now this is really tricky. Oh. Sola Scripture does not mean that all special revelation is even present in the Bible. No, oh, shoot. Like that, everything God has said is present in the Bible, right? Because I mean, think about this. Literally, every word that Jesus said on earth was the word of God, right? True. Not every word he said was recorded, though. I noticed that he said millions of words. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know what he. We don't know what he. In That's fact, wild. here's a wild case of this I just remembered in Acts. 20 when paul is saying goodbye to the elders of ephesus he's seeing them for the final time and weeping and all this stuff very sad um (laughs) very sad but he says and you know that as our lord said as jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive but we don't have a record of that that's not in the gospels that's not in the gospels right fascinating but that is something jesus said and you know it's recorded in acts and therefore that is that it did happen to be recorded but not like in the gospels you know what i mean so all that to say is all the special revelation that has been spoken is not recorded in the Bible. So we just need to bear that in mind. Like, I think some people say, oh, the Bible has all the special revelation. Like, right. no. Technically, it does not.
0: Okay, so this reminds me of a long-standing childhood question of, uh, yes. of mine. I should, Given the context of what I'm about to ask, I'm going to walk back the word childhood. Uh, yes. I'm just going to say this is a long-standing question. <laughs> um, so, especially as we're, we're like looking at this in light of Roman Catholic belief and tradition, mm-hmm. they have doctrine and practices definitely not outlined in Scripture. Yeah. But, you know, for us, by comparison, we don't naturally get all the, the tradition and practice that they have surrounding exorcism for instance okay. and, yep. and its rights mm-hmm. um, that's not spelled out for us and yet they clearly have a very outlined means mm-hmm. of approach and I guess maybe to offer the most generous analysis it apparently holds weight in, in some capacity when, when used appropriately and responsibly and safely <laughs> <laughs> and when that's actually happening as opposed to misdiagnosed illness. Um, <laughs> but like where, where does all of that because there's all this other like other almost like I don't want to use the word apocryphal right but it's like this other tradition that seems to have meaning mm-hmm. but we get literally none of that in fact Jesus many times is like oh yeah all this stuff all this knowledge exists about fasting and praying first but uh, we're not going to give you the guidebook for that it's like whoa
1: yeah so another parallel to like continue to draw what you, the point you're drawing out which is that like we have traditions that are explicitly commanded in scripture like yeah. there's no like there's no manual like it's not like in you know first Peter one it's like and here's a manual for performing exorcism, which
0: would be a stra- strange tone
1: break. Yes, it would. That would be very odd. <laughs> but it would be also
0: fascinating.
1: Yeah. So like in the Anglican church, and I'm sure this probably applies in some sense to Catholic churches, Lutheran churches. I'm just, I'm just happening to be more familiar with the Anglican version of it. But when they are taking communion, they speak words of institution to consecrate the bread and the cup, right? Okay. To set it apart as a special, you know, in a spiritual sense, you know, we're taking the body and blood of Christ, right? right yeah. Now, there's nowhere that says, consecrate the bread and the cup every time you take it. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't explicitly say, you need to consecrate it and you need to do it with these words. Right. That's a logical implication of the teaching of scripture, that Jesus did this. He said these things. That must imply that these things were set apart because they are these things. Therefore, and in fact, it's funny because you have some people who would say, well, when you say that, when you say the words of institution, all the bread and all the wine or uh, juice that's in vicinity becomes consecrated. Like anything like within- Within a radius. Yeah, There's- Like, within earshot, and they're like, and (laughs) so they, yeah, like, so, I mean, like, but that's, like, a real thing, and, like, so, like, now they're like, well, no, you have to be touching it and saying the word to consecration. But the point being, some of the way that you get to teachings and traditions, whether we agree with them, whether they're right, whether, you know, Part of them, you know, is true and like the heart of them gets at, you know, with exorcism, like is the thing that they do all the stuff or is the thing that they're casting out this spirit in the name of Jesus, right? But all that is to say, when it comes to scripture, I think the way I would say it, this is the way one of my professors said it and uh, it's really stuck with me, but the logical implication of a biblical teaching is itself a biblical teaching. And so that's where you like, what are you implying from your teaching of scripture that's going to create a new body of tradition, right? Like for instance, Jesus did this. Like that's where you even get that concept from because one example, the Sadducees say, we don't believe the resurrection and here's an exercise that demonstrates how ridiculous it is. A woman gets married to a man, he dies, Mm. brother marries her to have children for him because he didn't have children. On and on it goes till seven brothers, all die, no children. Who is this woman married to in the resurrection? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, well, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. And then he goes, to the burning bush, when God is speaking to Moses in the burning bush, he Mm -hmm. says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you read that in Exodus 3, you're reading that just understanding, oh, that's the self-revelation of God. You're not reading that for a theology of the afterlife. Yes. Like, no one is just, that's not, no one's going to read it for that. Right. But Jesus implies from the grammar of that statement, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, implying present tense, in some sense, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive with God right now. Oh. Yeah, the implication of that. And so, therefore, the logical implication of the grammar of the text is... A biblical teaching, like yeah. that's what he says. So that's where that concept comes from. That's really, I think, where all the divergent traditions begin diverging is not just what does scripture explicitly say, what does it imply? Yeah. And that's where you get all this stuff. And that's where I think eventually you get down the body of Roman Catholic exorcism. And it's like, well, it sprung from implication X led to implication Y led to implication Z. Yeah, If that makes sense. So, uh, yeah. And that obviously means that sola scriptura does not mean that all tradition is necessarily inherently wrong or bad. Like I said, we need those creeds and confessions, and we have to imply things. The measure is, is do we go back and then measure those by the scriptures? And then, of course, Sola Scriptura doesn't even mean that the Bible is all that we need to be saved, right? Because it would be one thing if the Bible said, this is all you need to be saved, but the Bible says you need faith to be saved so exactly. logical implications so in short that's the doctrine of Sola Scriptura wowie yeah wowie not what I expected at all yeah we we're going on there so thank you as always for listening and if you have questions you can email them to podcast at horizonschurch.net you can interact with us on social media and uh, if you find us on the uh, on the weekends you know us in the church say hi etc all those fun
0: qu- things quote Josiah's intros to him yes
1: that's me <laughs> uh, thanks as always for listening and we'll catch you next time mm-hmm.